Bethel World Outreach Church. Reaching a city to touch the world. All right. Go to um, Acts 2. Lord, help us. It's the entrance of your word that brings light and life. We pray that the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ will shine bright in here. I pray, Lord, that you would think through my mind, speak through my mouth. Words in my mouth and meditation in my heart be acceptable in thy sight. You're my strength and redeemer. Every glad heart said, amen. Okay, when you see the two, the, the house behind you and the steeple, uh, the objective of this year's We Are Family is to show how the church and your, your natural family merge together. It is easy for us to locate our natural family and our blood and understand our commitments and our obligations to our blood family. Sometimes it is difficult to understand what our commitments are to our spiritual family. And somehow we have a difficult time blending them together as if they uh, really don't go together. So we compartmentalize. We kind of have this natural bloodline relationships and then we have these spiritual relationships. And if they meet, you know, great. And if, and, and if they, and they don't, that's great. But I'm going to tell you that your spiritual relationships, they may at times be even more significant than your blood relationships because the singleness of mission is even more clear in the spiritual family than natural. That is not to denigrate or to despise or dismiss our natural families. Of course, they're important and they're necessary, but I wanna be like a song that my wife sang, Sisters Twice. She sang a song, there are blood sisters and they're spiritual sisters. And so it makes the bond and the connection that much more firm. The difficulty that we have as human beings is, is that our broken societal um, relationships and paradigms have affected our ability to look at God, the Father, the correct way. And, and, and I told you, in my own life, having a broken relationship with my natural father, he was abusive, we had to run away from him, et cetera, et cetera, made me try on all these different dads. I landed on one dad in particular, his name was Mr. Peterson. Mr. Peterson was great. He had three sons. His three sons were horrible. They didn't, well, I don't say that because they might listen to my podcast, but they didn't always listen to what he said. said. But I would listen. He said, you want the lawn cut? Or, you know, go out, get stuff in the car, clean up something? I did that. Because when you are missing something, you want to do all you can to be included in someone's home. You'll even do a few extra chores to get it. And, and uh, he died in his uh, late 50s, which was the first time I had somebody when I was in high school die. And... And it was really traumatic for me. And I didn't know it because I was playing it real cool, going into the funeral and everything. And then you walk up front, see the wife, and you, you see the body. And then it all hit me like a ton of bricks. How could somebody that had only been in their life in a limited, a limited little speck of time, how is it that the hook was so deeply in me that I was like one of the people you watch on the movie that you say you'll never, don't, why, why those people got to act such a fool, you know, at the funeral, that was me. Fell all out, just, it was bad. They drugged me out. Yeah. It was funny. I mean, it was a funeral, but it was funny. You just drugged me out. Because that's how hungry we are for authentic, 
deep familial relations. They are critical to your life. You are hungry for them. What if I told you that there is a equally a spiritual void that you have in the category of family that your spirit is crying out for? And it is very necessary relationships, but you can, because of brokenness of any kind, sometimes we can somehow diminish the, the um, necessity or the impact of it in our lives. Marginalize it. How do you know when you're marginalizing natural or spiritual family? When you've, you've allowed yourself to go without it, um, when it's available, and you become comfortable with that reality. You just can go without it. You can go without calling checking and you're okay with someone not calling or checking on you or getting in your business last week we talked about the real enemy of a family was satan who tricked a woman who caused sin who let sin into the world that caused our spiritual connection with god the father which was first to be broken in our natural family, not even started yet. He told Adam and Eve, go be fruitful, go multiply, go fill the earth. They went and talked to a snake instead of fulfill the natural responsibility. And in doing so, lost everything. Now the scripture gives us a promise of a savior, Jesus, from the very beginning. He's gonna crush his head, you'll bruise his heel, that promise kept showing up throughout the historical books, the, the minor prophets, the major prophets. The poor, all of these scriptures point to the need for Jesus to come so that you and I can have authentic, spiritual, and natural family. That's why I came. Now, as we look at Acts, I'm going to show you that Jesus, the promise of him coming was fulfilled through his sinless life that he lived, through his death, through his resurrection from the dead, through his presenting himself to over 500 people alive even after he had been dead three days, through his ascension up to heaven and his promise that I want a group of men to go wait in Jerusalem till you receive power from on high. And this power is going to be a genesis point of spiritual family, a new beginning of spiritual family. And it's going to be a new revelation of natural family working together again. And so two points in the message will be simply this. How do you join in on this family? And number two will be, if you're in the family, how do you become func functional? How do you, how do you actually be in it and function? Worst thing in the world is, um, uh, I'll say that. Okay, Acts 2, verse 1. Uh, ready, let's just read this really quick. Let's just read a little bit of this so you can get it. Ready? Read. Yeah. 
A little more power. Okay, whoa, yeah. Here's the problem. Um, he said, this Jesus whom you crucified has been made both Lord and Christ. In other words, Jesus whom you crucified has been given a highly exalted place as supreme ruler of everything and savior. The problem with humanity is we want to think about Jesus as savior, but we don't want to think about him as Lord. But to join the family, the scripture says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The Bible says that, he says to all of Israel or the family of Israel or the people of Israel, you crucified him. Look at the finger pointing. Whenever it comes to Jesus, historically, um, there have been people who don't like it when, when Jewish people are, are singled out as the people who crucified Jesus. Hey, the Gentiles don't like it when they're singled out. The Romans don't like it when they're singled out. But somehow, because we weren't back there during that time, whenever it talks about who crucified Jesus, we exonerate ourselves. I certainly didn't do it. I didn't nail him. I didn't do anything to him. But, but there is a reason he was there. There is a cause and effect. The Bible says in Isaiah that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. He opened out his mouth and by his stripes were healed. What if I told you that it was me? Uh, what if I went as far as say it was you? And any time and every time you've ever sinned is the reason why Jesus was crucified. 
And though we were not there yelling physically, crucify him, we were living in the world as enemies of him. The Bible says when we didn't even want God, we weren't searching for God, we weren't looking for him at all, Christ died for us. No one was petitioning for Jesus to come, he came. The difficult thing for humans to do is accept blame. I'll take a little bit, I won't take it all. When my family breaks up, yes, it's not my fault. And I've got a long list of things that are not my fault and a long list of excuses of why I can have fault because things that broke down. And I find it hard that I'm in a world where I didn't sin like Adam, but I'm credited for Adam's sin. How, how did Adam's sin get on me? And I used to say to the Lord, Lord, we need to talk. I didn't do what Adam did. I didn't eat no fruit. Why am I being penalized as if I'm Adam? Separated from you. My answer back was a little funny. I said, well, James, okay. Well, have you sinned at all? And when was the last time you sinned? Why don't we just count that one for you? You see, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You and I need to feel the weight of being the reason why a guiltless, sinless, perfect, holy man would have to surrender his life. It's because I am guilty, unholy, and sinful. And he did it on my behalf. He is the Messiah. For this reason have he come to seek and save that which was lost. And so here it is that Peter has gotten up and preached a message to a bunch of people that are from all different ethnicities after he's filled the spirit and he comes to this conclusion the guy you crucified he is Lord and he is Christ you and I must come to grips with this if we're ever going to be in his family for real that it's not an accident I did something that required me to be saved and here's what they said. After hearing this, they were cut. After hearing this, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, the apostle, brothers, what should we do? When they heard that it was them, when they heard that there was no place else to point the finger, when they heard that we had hung with the Savior and ate with the Savior and heard the Savior preach and still rejected his message and called for his execution, though he did nothing but heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, though he'd done all these good things, guess what? It, they were cut to the heart. See, until my sin and your sin bothers you to the point that it breaks your heart, you still ain't in the right place. See, the thing is, I learned about James. Let me tell you about me. You know what I learned about myself? And I hate to admit it. I don't hate sin. 
I don't hate it. This is part of my life, you know, it just hangs around. It's available upon request. It's easy not to hate sin when you don't know that what it produced. When you become unaware of the destruction or the price that somebody paid to eradicate it, yeah, sure, it's just, you know, it's just something. But they were cut to the heart because they were, they were severely pained. They really got it because they knew that the reason a life was lost was their fault. See, it's, it's easier for me to worship God when he was doing it for somebody else, but somehow when it has to do about, he did it all for me. When I start making it personal, now I start blessing them from a different place. I'm grateful for everybody that gets a little blessing. Oh, I thank God that he helped you. But when I realize he brought me out of trouble, me out of the depths, Oh, I just start singing differently. Oh, I want to see him look upon his face. Hey! Well, I did, you know, you just go to another level. He is Lord in Christ. They were cut to the heart. If you're going to join his family, you've got to understand what price was paid. You know what they do? I know none of y'all have ever been in the gang, and I'll give you a little gang vernacular. I've been in gangs. One of the, I, I know, honey, but it's my past. <laughs> One of the things you do, you have to pay some type of price to be in the family that helps you never forget what it costs you to be there. And you may not like all your family, your gang members, but it, you, you pay so much to be a part and it's got so many benefits that you take all the other discomforts. You see, you didn't have to take any pain to be in this family. Pain and the price and the beat in, that's what you got to do to get in the gang, you got to get beat in. Somebody took that beating for you. It wasn't just you and the family. Oh, ho, ho. did he pay the price? Yeah, yeah. Jesus took 39 on his back. The past, present, and future sins of every human that ever was and ever will be was laid upon him. The father had to turn his back on him. And he physically, as Jesus, felt every bit of it. He didn't have some supernatural strength to call upon. He emptied himself of that. That's the price to be in the family. And he says, uh, and they was, you know, you hear that deep enough? What we got to do? Because I know it was me. I hope you get to that point today. And Peter replied, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for this promise is for you and for your children, for your children's children, and as many that are far off and as many the Lord God shall call. And then he says, save yourselves from this. He played with them with many other words and says, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to the church, and they were from all over the world. In other words, what happened? 
when, you, when, you, when the Spirit of the Lord was prayed, poured out and they began to speak with other languages and people began to mock and some people began to marvel, Peter got done with that spiritual gift and he started preaching. And he preached a word that declared the authenticity of Jesus Christ and their hearts were open to responding to him. They weren't now like an evangelist chasing a revival. A revival is about to come to them because revival happens when people realize that they have sin and they need a savior. That is a revival. And when people do that in a mass quantity. And this is what's about to happen. And he says to them, repent means you've got to have a change of heart, a change of activity, You've got to have a change of mind, a change of direction. If you were facing this way, you need to be now facing another direction and separating yourself from your old lifestyle. You know that you're joining the family when you're willing to give up your sin. I'm, I'm sorry, it's weighty when we talk about sin. You know, preaching about sin in church, lost concept. It's weighty. I've got to turn from something in order to turn to someone. You cannot have both of them. You've got to give up the old to embrace the new life. And then, not only do you repent, you've got to be baptized. You've got to go public about your family. Baptism is identifying with his death, burial, and resurrection. It's an outward display of an inward change. It's saying, I'm marked as a Christian, I'm marked in the family of God. I'm marked for God. Nowadays, we don't want to articulate that we're a part of the faith because we don't want to offend anybody by saying the last name is low. Your last name is Christian. I don't want to offend them by hearing that I'm a person of faith. What is that? Do you stop signing your own name to something? What is this that makes us unwilling to identify with God? But Peter is getting up and preaching a message to a bunch of people in in front of a bunch of people who would like to kill him. He's just seen them kill his savior. He's just seen them kill the Lord. But he not only offers the people he's preaching to the same salvation he's received, he offers them the same power to stand boldly and proclaim it as he received, receiving the power of God, the Holy Spirit upon him. Maybe the secret ingredient to holding your natural and spiritual family together is being filled with God's spirit. There was a boldness that Peter spoke with when everyone else wanted to see him quiet. He called out the people who crucified him. He called out the Romans. He called out the government. He called out the the religious people who were outside. uh, They were graves, but but on the outside, they were, were, on the outside, they looked right. But on the inside, they were wrong. He called them out to join the family of God. You've got to make him Lord. You've got to make him Christ. You need to go public, get baptized. 
and you need to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for this promise is for you. And he is the secret weapon to holding everything together that you couldn't hold together without him because when he gives you the power of the Spirit, you have the power to stand on your workplace or in your campus or in your community and be bold about who you are as a believer in Jesus Christ. What is this that causes us to deny the very power that saved us from eternal damnation? What is this that causes us to deny the power that can give you healing and give you deliverance and give you breakthrough? What is this that causes man to just just acquiesce and say, well, you know, no, I'm that privately, but publicly I'm just a person. No, you're not just a person. You're a person that's sent by God, anointed by God, appointed by God. You are a Christ follower. You are a Christian. You are a disciple. You're a disciple maker. You have an identity and your identity is in Christ. Go public with your faith. Go public with your family. If you're joined in and shouted to the rooftop, how come they don't know who you are when you're in the airport? How come they don't know who you are when you're in school? How come they don't know who you are when you're in a job? How come somebody's coming up to you to witness because they ain't heard you witness to nobody? I'm trying to tell you that you've got to go public with your faith. If you're in a, if you're in a family, then you need to claim it and wear the colors. When I was in the, you know, you're in the blood of Crips, you put your bandana down and you take all the risks with it. You know what I'm saying? If, if I would work gang relations for years, when you're in a blood or a crip gang, you wear those colors, risking your life, risking your rep, but you wear it because that's your family. Wear your cross. Bible says take up that cross daily. Wear it. Put it on. Proclaim, I am in the family of God. I am anointed by God. I am a preacher of God. I've got boldness by the Spirit to declare what thus saith the Lord. I will not hold my peace. I will not be quiet because God's been too good to me. He's my family. You and you're cut to the heart. That's how you talk. Now, if you're in the family... The second part of the message is simply this. I'm going to show you how to be a part of the family within one verse. Because sometimes we've joined, but we don't know how to function. I'm with you, but I don't know how to be with you. Verse 42. Here it starts with devotion. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. They committed themselves. They surrendered themselves. They focused themselves. They disciplined themselves to do something every day that was continuing the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. What do you do every day? What are you devoted to? On a scale of one to ten, can you name it? And does God have anything to do about it? Do with it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What is that? The word? The word? Do you, do, you, do you read the Bible every day? Or is it just on your phone? In your pocket? Available at will? The Bible says, man don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. Give us this day our daily bread. They receive manna from heaven every day. You need a word from God every day. You need a rhema word from God, specific, individual, and special. You need them to prophetically speak to you, and you need to read the word. What was the apostles teaching they was continuing in? He was taking them back to the 
Old Testament scriptures, the poetry scriptures. He was taking them to the minor prophets and the major prophets because they were all speaking about Jesus. And all of those little stories that they learned as Jewish children that pointed to the Messiah, they were proving that Jesus was the Messiah. And you need to look at the word of God every day so that you can have clarity on who Jesus is. And if you put that word of God down, something's going to marginalize your Savior. He's not going to be a clear picture in your mind. And all of a sudden, something you should continue in daily as a devotion and a discipline, you've lost it. Second thing they did was fellowship. Kononia. This this is an uncomfortable term, but it's just uh, the word that is actually used is a social intercourse, an, uh, a socially intertwining, a socially becoming one. Okay? This is how close you are. It's like when somebody says you, have, you got their back, you got their back. Sometimes I think this term is lost in the, just let me give you a quick hood vernacular on this. If I'm in a fight, and we're together, and someone comes against us, and you run, we are not in Konania. We're not together. And when I find you after that fight, you see, you see what happened when I said I'll find you after that? There's an expectation when somebody says that they're in Konania with you, fellowship with you, they got you and you've got them. It's the worst thing in the world to anticipate that you're in fellowship with someone and they let their end of the bargain down. You show up, it's an it's a interdependence. It's a, it's a leaning on one another. You can count on me. You need to be devoted to someone knowing they can count on you and they don't have to be your blood in order for them to know you can count on them. There are people in this room who are just as powerful in my spirit uh, though they're not my natural blood. Everybody wants that type of love. Everybody wants that type of friendship. It's in here, but you can't get it if you're not devoted to friendliness. You come in with your Bible. That's the, I'm on my way somewhere, don't stop me. I don't have time for relationship. And then there's the, the, look, the look off one, like you can look people off quick. I looked at you, but not long enough to engage you. The look off, I call it the look off. If you practice these things long enough, guess what will happen? No one will engage you. No one will talk to you. You'll say, what's wrong in our church? It's not friendly. No, the church is friendly. You're not friendly. You have a sign outside of you that says, I'm not available for Kononia. I won't have your back. Definitely not in a fight. Okay? And the second thing, he says, they were devoted, they were devoted to food. Hallelujah. Ooh, I love it when food is in the Bible. You can tell I'm devoted to food. You, you, well, you can't tell because I'm sucking my stomach in with everything I got with every breath. 
I take, I just keep it in, keep it in. But if I let it out, it's like a pregnant man. It is. It's right out there. I'm devoted to food. What I'm telling you is you can be devoted to something that can cripple you, that can hurt you, that can harm you. You can be so devoted to it for so long that you call a wrong that's happening right and all right, and you become just all engaged in it. But what if I told you this devotion to food is more consistent with a communion meal with the Lord? Communion. It means you're devoted to the consistent evaluation of your vertical relationship with God and your horizontal relationship with people, it's under review. You're constantly asking God, are you and I all right? The questions would look like, is there any sin in my life that I've ignored? Is there any iniquity in my life that I've ignored? Is there any offense that I bring to you that breaks our fellowship? I'm devoted to this question. When I go there, do you like it? When I listen to this, do you like it? When I look at that, do you like it? When I touch this, do you like it? And when you are devoted to this level of investigation, goes in there. Other way thing it says, remember, it's the vertical and it's horizontal when it comes to communion. Am I in right relationship with my, let's start with my spouse. You know what the Bible says, before I'm to pray, watch this, before I'm to pray, I got to have it right with her. That's what, do you know how many times I wanted to go study and preach and I've got to be saying, hey, look, babe, let's get this right. I got to get my study on. Because God is so into familial relationships and you being family that he wants you to stop everything when it's not right. How long can you be mad at your mama? Your daddy, your brother. Who's broken your heart? How long can you hold them out on it? But see, when you're devoted to a communion relationship with God, he begins to purge you of the things that break his relationship with you and your relationship with others. And you start saying, I forgive you. I forgive him. Can't hold on to it. Not only that, finally, he said they were devoted to prayer. This is how you be family. They were devoted to prayer. Prayer is that thing that we have limited to, you know, Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. Sometimes that's a prayer for people. Jesus wept. Help. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray to the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray to the Lord my soul to keep. Even the way we say the Lord's Prayer, you know what you can notice in all those things? They don't have any meaning behind, they don't have any feeling behind the words. It's not an intimacy. What if I told you prayer is not just a moment in time, but it is a lifestyle? It's a walking and a talking with him. It's asking his opinion about things. It's engaging him. It's him being a very present help. It's, it's, it's engaging the presence of the Lord. Devoted to this. 
Now, if you have this type of devotion within the family you've joined, I'm devoted to the Word of God daily. I'm devoted to real yoke fellow fellowship with my brothers and sisters daily. I'm devoted to investigation of my relationship with God and others daily. And I walk with Jesus daily, devoted. You'll be in the family. You'll be in the family. Stand to your feet. Ministry team, you can come on down. It's a one-two punch type message. Somebody might be saying, well, I joined the family. I don't know. You can't join the family unless you say he's Lord and Christ. Saying he's Lord and allowing him to be Lord are two different things. You can say that he is Lord of your life, but if he's actually not Lord of your life, then that's a problem. You can say, I'm going to be in the family now. Maybe you need some help being committed to the word, devoted to it. Maybe you need help being devoted to prayer. Maybe you just need help. What's the point of being in church if you can't actually be in a family where you can say, help me? Just help me. Let's close this service with one moment where if anyone in our family needs any help, healing, connection, deliverance, breakthrough, community. I don't know what you need. But we're in the service. One minute. We'll just give you a minute to respond. Yeah, just sing a quick song, Kristen. Just one minute. Just one minute and I'll dismiss you. You need something. This is your time. The service has stopped. The world has stopped. Just for you. Just for a moment. Just begin to use your personal relationship to pray for somebody. Thank God or just pray. One minute. If you need anything from Jesus, come. If you've watched this message and you want to make Jesus Lord of your life, I've got good news. You can do it right now. I want you to pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life for the rest of my life. I acknowledge I am a sinner. I need you, my Savior. I believe you died for me. I believe you were raised from the dead on the third day. And I confess that you are now Lord of my life. If you've just prayed that prayer, I have good news for you. You have eternal life. The next step for you is to get in a Bible-believing church. We volunteer to be that church. But if not us, we pray God's blessings on you as you search for God's best for you. Thank you.